Hello, my name is Lanny Popo, formerly the genius of WWE. You are listening to BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Hands Off The Merchandise. I am Pablo and this week I have with me a man who has co-authored comic book biographies with Nikolai Volkov, Rocky Johnson, Hexo Jim Duggan to name a few and has a Kickstarter at the moment which has met its target with 10 days to spare for the comic book encyclopedia of pro wrestling. 280 pages of true stories from the likes of Lanny Poffo, Jake Hager and Ricky Morton. I have with me John Craver of Squared Circle Comics. Hello, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, a nice introduction. Yeah, that was a great introduction. Oh, well, yeah, I, I always say this. That start with a really good introduction, and then you can just go downhill from there with really terrible <laughs> questions, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was just saying before uh, before we came on air um, that uh, my first experience with your work was with the uh, Nikolai Volkov comics, which um uh, you worked with him uh to make because it was a biography of his uh of his career um Absolutely. when you worked with Nikolai like did he give you any impression that he was ill at that point or um like yeah go for no. it sorry yeah, absolutely not. I mean, Nikolai, honestly, for those who knew him personally, and, and a lot of the pro wrestlers, Nikolai was a uh, fanatic about health. You know, I remember the first time I met him in person, and even beforehand, when he would call me all the time, we talked on the phone, because he was up in, uh, just outside of Baltimore, and I'm down in Florida. So our initial conversations began on the phone, and it usually would either end, the lead off or end off with him trying to pass me on a recipe for some kind of healthy food or, or even giving me health tips on, on what I should be eating or shouldn't be eating and such. And the first time, kind of a funny story, the first time I ever met him in person uh, actually was at WrestleMania in Orlando because it's just up the street from where I live. And uh, so I, uh, I was telling the story to somebody the other day. So I arrived there at the WWE Hotel. He invited me to meet him there. And I arrive, I get lost in the parking lot. First person I encounter is Cesaro who actually escorted me into the hotel uh, and to the elevators. I hop on the elevator and I, I, I literally rode the elevator, uh, just me and Roman Reigns up to the top floor uh, where Nikolai was staying um, on the expense, I guess, of, of Vince McMahon. He had put him up there because uh, Nikolai was going to be appearing at Fan Access. And I knock on the door. I hear this you know, bellowing deep voice of Nikolai to come on in, obviously not worried whatsoever about who might walk in the door. And first thing he says when he sees me is, you're fatter uh, in person than you sounded on the telephone. <laughs> and, <laughs> how do you think that, you know? But uh, So it started off with him telling me to get down on the floor. He started showing me how to do these special crunches that he uh, says he would do every morning. He'd get up in the morning and do these crunches for like an hour. And, and, uh, and that was my first introduction to Nikolai. So he was a lot about health, you know. And, and it really was a shock. I'd known, um, because we did talk, you know, at least weekly, sometimes daily. Uh, and I had spoken with him for several days leading up to when he did pass away. And, and um, he had thought that he'd caught the flu, actually, is, is what had happened. And he had, uh, he had gone to the hospital and was getting that checked out. 
and uh, and you know he checked himself out and went home, and then he, he passed away in his sleep. So it was a surprise. Definitely not something we saw coming. That's really sad. I I really enjoyed um, reading those as an introduction to your work. So. Um, what came first? Was it your love of comic books or was it your love of professional wrestling? In all honesty, I, I think it came about the same time. Um, you know, I was a kid growing up here in Florida, which, you know, for longtime fans of pro wrestling, Florida was a bastion for uh, for pro wrestling. Championship wrestling for Florida was based down here during the territorial days. Uh, of course, Gordon Soley uh, was the announcer then, but we were, you know, we had some heavy talent down here. I mean, we had uh, Dusty Rhodes, Blackjack Mulligan, Funks would come in from Texas. Uh, Barry Windham, you know, I, I believe got his start here. I, I remember seeing Barry when, when he could, you could fit him in Blackjack's leg. I, I think I remember seeing Dustin Rhodes make his debut at CWF. Kendall Windham, uh, we had Kevin Sullivan. We had a heck of a lineup, and, and all these greats would always come through the Florida Territory. So I grew up on that in, in the late 70s. Um, which put me in, you know, in my preteens, uh, which was a time that I was also into comics, uh, and comics were different then too. I mean, um, from what I recall, you didn't, for the most part, have as many big comic book stores that you see now. I mean, I, I'd get my comics, I'd get dropped off by the school bus and uh, pass one of those old Rexall drug stores where they had a spinner rack, and, and comics were going for like 50 to 75 cents a pop. You know, so I was growing up on wrestling and I was growing up on comics, you know, simultaneously, even though at the time I wasn't really putting uh, two of the two of them together. Uh, it was kind of a love for both that I grew up with. But did you sort of immediately become a collector of comics and wrestling merchandise? Or was that just not a really a concept that was a thing yeah. sort of back then? Yeah, not for me. I mean, for me, it was all about reading comics or, or watching the wrestlers and, and living in Florida. You know, I had an opportunity. It was pretty cool. Uh, my father was uh, the attorney for for the Kevin Sullivan actually when he was <laughs> when he was the Prince of Darkness and I remember uh, periodically because I would you know after school a lot of times I'd come to my dad's office and I remember periodically uh, the Prince of Darkness would be at the office and, and I remember I was always freaked out because you know my parents they knew my love of wrestling and they didn't want to ruin uh, the magic of wrestling and I appreciate that I mean I, I figured it out on my own. As time as time progressed, but as a kid, you know everything you see is real. That's on TV, or if your parents tell you. So, Absolutely. You know, I, 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 all. Yeah, I, I mean, I believe Kevin Sullivan would throw fireballs at people. I thought it was real. I remember peeking through a. I, there was a little portal window that looked from where my mom sat and worked at the office into where my dad actually uh, was with his clients. And I remember one time Kevin Sullivan came in and he goes through, and I climb up on a chair and I'm peeking through that window. And uh, my mom says, you know, don't do that. You know, you're going to, your dad's with a client. You're going to disturb him. I'm like, mom, you don't realize that's not just a client. That's the prince of darkness. <laughs> and my mom says, oh, I know, dear, but uh, you don't worry. He's not going to fireball with your dad. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was fun, you know. So we had, it was great. You know, you'd see the guys sometimes locally. Um, they'd be out like in Daytona Beach and, and stuff like that. We weren't in Tampa which was really the hotbed, but we, you know, we had enough of it reach out here that it made it a, a great, a great place to be growing up. From, I was, I was going to say, I've interviewed Kevin as well. And, um, you know, even just interviewing him, he's a really nice guy, but like, I always detect that he always keeps that level of, uh, Prince of Darkness 
in everything that he says when talking to fans just to keep that mystique going because like that stuff in florida that he did was so i don't even know if it was ahead of its time it was just otherworldly almost i mean like how jarring was it for you as a fan of that stuff to see kevin sullivan come in and do all of that crazy stuff he did in florida Oh, my God. I mean, I remember, you know, I tune in when I tune in in the mornings, even though he was the heel, it was stuff I had to see. I mean, he'd come out with uh, the Purple Haze, Mark uh, Lewin, and Robert Pink. It was frightening, you know. It was really frightening because they weren't weren't running that stuff like like the the G or PG rated stuff that you see on, on WWE now. I mean, it wasn't like everything watered down. I mean, he literally, they'd throw fireballs at people. They would, you know, it, it was live fans in the, in the smaller the smaller studios. I mean, it was really scary stuff, especially if you were a kid. You know, of course, I'm coming from the perspective at the time of, of a boy who was between the ages of like 7 and 10, when everything's a little bigger than life as it is anyway. But nothing was out there. Nothing was promoted about anything being, you know, make-believe or, or prescriptive. None of that was out there at that And you didn't have the internet, so you didn't see what you saw on TV was, for the most part, unless you ran into them in public, which they always stayed in character. Uh, what you saw on TV was it. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no you know, Snapchat or any of that stuff. So they didn't really have, to the fans, they didn't really have lives outside of what you saw on television or what you read in those wrestling magazines. So it really was... Uh, really was some scary stuff. <laughs> Two of the things that I wanted to talk to him about, which I never got the chance, because when Kevin Sullivan's like, when you ask him one question, he will talk for about 40 minutes, like giving you the most involved, yeah, detailed yeah, answer. Like, yeah. <laughs> which is brilliant for a podcast, you know, but then you don't get to ask like half the questions that you want to ask. Like two of the things yeah. that sort of stick out of my mind with him in Florida was the time that uh, Luna Vachon played the uh, journalist and uh, Kevin yeah. Sullivan punches like the the wrestler uh, was it windham it was ken was it kendall windham i think he might have ducked kendall and barry started here yes but luna takes the most i mean that was nothing fake about that punch she took that punch but then the comedy of just seeing her fly out of the camera shot and her legs just kicking up in the air it was just like (laughs) but it was presented like so seriously because you know he punched a woman there was nothing fake about Luna. I mean, yeah. um, I, I never did meet Luna. Um, sadly, she passed away before I really got into into writing these stories and such. But I do have a book coming out for her. Uh, oh. for her husband, uh, Gangrel. Yeah. Uh, Heath. And, and so we did get into in discussions with David <laughs> some of the Luna stories. And man, she was she was over the top. I mean, she uh, she really did, did some crazy stuff. So it wouldn't have surprised me if that shot she took from Kevin Sullivan was a real shot. I mean, because she uh, she would really get in there and go toe to toe with the guys. She was uh, she was a firecracker. Uh, absolutely. I've got a. I don't know if you uh, will have done this or not, but one of her best friends in wrestling was uh, Lady Maxine, who I'm sure you saw in Florida, and we had the chance to become good friends because her uh, mother-in-law owned some uh, property in Edinburgh and I've got the chance to meet her and uh, hang out and stuff like that. So I'm sure that she would be great for some, uh, for some Luna stories as well. And, uh, you know, with her time in uh, 
Florida as well because like I know that even more than the WWF because she wasn't there for long. She holds her time in Florida in much higher regard than um, any other time in her in her career. But yes, we'll talk about you because <laughs> you know this. This is why you know I have to like put time limits on things otherwise I'll just go off in a million different directions. So, um, with uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, was that for years your one exposure to wrestling then like were you buying the magazines at the time with the national coverage and- yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's a good question because people nowadays don't really understand um, how wrestling was back then i mean when it was territorial you were really limited to what what you would have televised in your area and, and they didn't have anybody at the time when i first started watching they didn't have anybody like wwe which be, which was wwf they weren't broadcasting nationally yet you know, they were they were a territory uh, up in New York. They were the WWWF. You know, people in the Northeast saw them, but you didn't necessarily get to see them at least televised uh, down, down here in Florida. Same with the AWA or, or, or over the stuff over in Texas. Or, or every, you know, everything was its own little section. And where we would get our information uh, was from magazines. You know, so we'd see our NWA version here in Florida, but there were NWAs all over the place, you know. And uh, once in a while, we get lucky enough to have the NWA champ, you know, brace us by coming to the Florida Territory, which they seem to do quite a bit. Um, I think Florida was really considered one of the premier uh, locations to come and actually perform. But you didn't, I didn't see much, you know. And then as time progressed, and uh, I guess I was probably an early teen, in the, and this would have been in the 80s when, when Vince McMahon started really – grabbing the talent from the different territories and really expanding the WWF to become the WWF throughout and getting those television contracts, we started having something called, uh, I think it was called like Saturday Night's Main Event. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love all the Saturday Night's Main Event. Like, we probably got some of the later ones in this country when I was really young, but um, probably about 10, 15 years ago when I was doing the tape trading and everything, um, the first time I had access to be able to get the Saturday Night's Main Events finally, like, blew my mind sort of thing, you know. (laughs) That was fantastic. I remember when we first started getting those, because that was at a time when you didn't even have uh, MTV didn't exist, believe it or not. Uh, and we had something that was called Friday Night Videos. And um, every Friday night, I think it would start at like probably 11 or 12 o'clock, <laughs> you could tune in to the television and actually watch music videos for like an hour. So that was your Friday night when you were a kid. And then Saturday night was Saturday Night Main Event. And, and that's when you would see all these wrestlers from the WWF, a lot of them who we'd never seen before because they were from territories that we'd never had. We'd seen them in the magazines, but we'd never actually seen them wrestle live. And it was it was really it was honestly a different product than um, than what we were used to here in CWF because first of all they were in these massive arenas. It wasn't like that studio wrestling that you'd see on TV here. And the crowds were enormous. And the guys honestly the guys were seemed bigger. I mean they were just like these massive uh, men and, and, and women were bigger. Everything was just larger, bigger stuff which. You know, turn out later on as I learned, I get I learned Vince was really into the bigger people anyway. But it was just these massive people. Once in a while, you'd see your local guy would pop in. You know, if uh, you know Vince would sign, at one point he'd sign Dusty away or, or something like that, and they'd show up on the WWF uh, you know main event, and it would it would be kind of cool. It, you, you never know. It was kind of like 
you know, and my and people might disagree with me, but when you see a new wrestler pop on there, it was from a territory and almost like NWO before its time. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that, that was going to be. Well, I was going to ask uh, two things with that. Did you, once you started having uh, access to WWF um, and other territories later on, did you hold them in comparison with what you had always watched and loved? And was it a bit jarring? And also when someone like Dusty would show up in WWF with a different character, um, did you kind of go, ooh, <laughs> or was it kind of like you were just happy for them to be there? Well, the thing with guys like Dusty, Dusty, because of Dusty's name, he was always Dusty. Mm. Um, now other guys you might see like Hercules he was Hercules Hernandez here and he's just Hercules when he got with WWE anyway, but, but for the most part they kind of kept their character Vince wasn't as much I don't think back then uh, as big on necessarily changing and, and now now everything that you, you see up there that he owns the character you know unless you're a guy like uh, uh, Kurt Angle where you made your name for yourself as an Olympian and it'd really be silly to turn you into something else <laughs> Um, you know, back then he kind of, you know, for the most part, I think those guys came in and, and kind of stayed who they were. And I think I was probably too young, to be honest, to really, you know, and that was kind of, that's maybe one of the, my, one of the pet peeves I've got with wrestling now. I think people pick at it too much. And, and, and back then I was just more for the love of, of watching wrestling. I mean, I wasn't necessarily comparing this show as better than this show. You know, I wasn't really thinking of that at that time, but, um, you know, it did stand out that the arenas were bigger and the people seemed bigger. It seemed like a bigger, grander stage uh, when I would watch it. And, of course, as time progressed, we started seeing more, too, coming out of Atlanta. And uh, you'd see WCW or, 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 uh, coming out of Atlanta, which was on WTBS. Uh, and that was with the advent of cable. I mean, as cable started expanding, it gave you, you know, you'd see CWF was kind of fading off the TV, but now you were seeing it coming in out of Atlanta and then out of New York. So it was, you know, it was a great time to be growing up. Yeah, it, it must have been cool to have lots of different choices. I mean, in the UK, um, you know, once World Sport kind of got um, kind of ushered out the way sort of thing because of low ratings and stuff, WWF took their TV slot for a few weeks and not a lot of people remember this and even used the same World of Sport theme tune uh, with clips of Big Daddy and Hulk Hogan clipped in together and stuff like that and uh, the first World of Sport WWF show that they showed instead of World of Sport um, it it showed matches from the Boston Garden show where Savage beat Tito for the Intercontinental Belt um, oh, wow. yeah. But there were unique uh, links from Gene Oakland saying, like, your hometown guys, the British Bulldogs, you know, um, <laughs> talking talking about pa uh, stones instead of pounds and all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, it wasn't – we would get WrestleMania in, like, June. <laughs> you know, like, it, was, uh, it wasn't it was it wasn't immediate back then. Um, and it wasn't until Sky um, had a merger, uh, Sky Television, and then it, everything – sort of kicked off because everyone remembers WrestleMania six because that was the first pay-per-view that was shown at the time, you know, on sky. And then they brought out the sticker albums and then all the merchandise came out and everything like that as well. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the UK hold that period with like the early Hasbro figures and all that kind of thing in very, uh, very high regard. Um, so with, now, with, here's a question I have for you, cause I don't know, you know, being that you're in the UK here, yeah. it was extremely controversial. Uh, it was unheard of for a territory to infringe upon the territory of another, you know, to grab television time or anything like that. Was there ever any, you know, any any toxic blowback in the UK 
when American wrestling tried to come across and like grabbing a time slot. Like that. I, I really don't know. I think what what kind of happened when uh, World of Sport kind of disappeared. And I mean, a lot of the wrestlers as well um, either went to America like Dave Boy or, you know, Fifth uh, and Lee and Regal and all those kind of names. But then there were the big daddy giant haystacks who kind of, as far as I know, because this is, you know, I was very, very young. They either went into like TV acting careers uh, or would do like comedy, yeah. comedy sort of things and stuff like not like serious acting a lot of the times. Um, or they would start wrestling kind of like on this independent circuit where they would do like um holiday camps and all that kind of thing where they would be there for the families to go and see but it didn't have the notoriety and to be honest i think a lot of people would say that by the end of world of sport it got it became repetitive and i think fans like sort of the audience yeah. got a bit tired of it and you know i think it happens with a lot of territories you know you I've, i think it was bobby heenan who said that every great territories had like 20 years of good stuff and then it kind of they start repeating themselves or they go out of business or whatever and you know i think that's kind of yeah. kind of what happened but there was I, there probably was a backlash but you know to these like glitzy, fake and in inverted commas American, you know, bodybuilders coming over to the, uh, you know, yeah. to the UK and all that kind of thing, and um, you know, but once by the early nineties, once um, once SummerSlam sold out Wembley Stadium, um, yeah. and you know, then really during that sort of ninety two ninety three period, although it wasn't as big in America at that point, it was as big as it ever would be in the UK and Europe because, I mean, selling out Wembley Stadium attracts all these merchandisers and sponsors. And, I mean, the WrestleMania album, you know, <laughs> like, it reached the top 10 in the UK and had a, a, legit, a legitimate hit. I, I think it died a death in America. But, um... The Beatles, we gave you the WrestleMania album. <laughs> and that was my first ever album. I got that when I was seven years old. It was, um, it was produced by Simon Cowell as well, so but, um, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I don't think he likes to admit that he was a part. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in '92, because um, WCW uh, actually for a couple of years ended up in the slot that Wilder Sport had. And because okay. of that, a lot of WCW merchandise was... I mean, the, you, you probably know about the, the Gloob figures, like the UK exclusive figures that we would get and all that kind of thing. And your know, figures are like a big deal again, like old figures. But one of the first things I ever got was the... Um, I guess it was the WCW graphic novel. Um, with, and I'm, I don't know... Like, were you um, familiar as a comic book fan with some of the wrestling comics and graphic novels that were coming out at that time, like the early 90s. And and as well, when did you realize you wanted to move into that as a career? Yeah, well, uh, not really, because I kind of, through that span of the 90s, I was still watching wrestling, but I kind of got out of comics. Um, you know, I went to college and was in Peru for a while and then went to law school, which is actually my career. Uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, but about five years ago, I decided, you know, my daughter, she's a comic book fan. Um, so before I got into the wrestling comics, I enjoyed going to conventions with her. But one of the problems I had was I didn't feel that, um, for the most part, that the female comic book superhero characters that they were putting out there, I thought they were kind of hypersexualized, at least for females. Mm. And, and I wanted her to have a, a character that, that she could look up to that, you know, didn't have all their body parts falling out and such. So... I created a character called Rochelle the Teen Cockroach, 
and uh, reached out to a, a comic book artist that I had been a fan of, uh, Del Barris. Del had worked on uh, Blue Beetle and uh, Savage Sword of Conan, which was another favorite of mine when I was a kid. And then he got into animation. He was one of Stan Lee's animators on the Spider-Man TV series and a few other things. I wrote him a letter, never met him before, wrote him a letter, told him my idea. About a month or two later, I got a, uh, a letter back from him, actually, with some original art in it that said, I love your idea. Uh, give me a phone call. Let's do it. So and then I, met, I had a conundrum there. I, I had an idea, but I'd never written a comic, and I had no idea in the world how to write a comic book. So I started searching around the Internet. I found a website for Marv Wolfman, who... Most people, you've heard of Mark Wolfman, one of his biggest runs was with Crises uh, on Infinite Earths. And I reached out to Mark Wolfman and I got a signed script from him, which actually served as my template for, um, for my first comic. And I, I wrote that, sent it to Dell. We got it published. And it, it kind of got it got picked up later on by Antarctic Press, uh, who did end up doing a, did run the uh, Nikolai books with me. But from there, I became friends with Nikolai Volkov. Over our common love of comics, um, actually, we connected on, on Facebook uh, through a mutual friend and started talking to him. And he's like, John, you know, I love comics. I've always wanted a, a comic done on my life. And I've had several people approach me, but it's never been done. And I said, well, Nikolai, I'll do it for you. And I tell you right now, I tell you I'm going to do something. I promise you I'll get it done. And we did it. You know, so this was the first book I actually did, a first series I actually did for for wrestling. And uh, from there, it just kind of ballooned. I mean, he introduced me to Bruno San Martino and got to do his. Uh, I got to meet Brian Blair, who put me in touch with Jim Brunzel and did a run on the, on the, uh, the Killer Bees. Um, and from there, I learned that these guys, it's kind of like a fraternity. They are a family. And as word spread um, and people realize that I'm not trying to scam anybody and I really do get these books done and, and we're as honest as you can be. Um, ended up doing some books. We've got a series running for Rock and Roll Express. I did do Rocky Johnson's um, Glow, some of the Glow Girls. We got uh, Sunny from Glow, and I'm working on Hollywood, who was the first Glow Girl in history. Uh, got hers in production now. Uh, Gangrels is coming out. We did one first of a, a series for Jake Hager. Bobby Fulton, the Fantastics, Lonnie Poffo, Lanny Poffo. Uh, we've got new ones coming down Pipe from uh, Terry Funk, Magnum TA. Uh, the Warlord, oh. you know, so oh. we've got, it's really, it's really ballooned, and, and it's, it's, God, I love it. I mean, I never would have imagined as a kid growing up, idolizing these guys and gals on TV, I mean, these, these huge people that, you know, I've likened them in, in, in the past to others as they really are, you know, no knock on, on, on firefighters and police officers and such, because they really are heroes, but professional wrestlers really were you know comic book superheroes but live i mean they're bigger than life they can jump off and fly from these top ropes and, and do these amazing things that, that most normal human beings can't do and they they wear these colorful outfits and they really are comic books on a stage they really are and, and that's that's what we've been able to do is actually take them from that stage and, and, and put them in the comics it's been a lot of fun yeah, the um, you mentioned in the Warlord there. That's the first I've heard of that, and I'm so excited about a Warlord <laughs> comic book. That's so cool. Um, so a couple of questions off that. Um, first, with the names that you've worked with, have you have there been any legal 
I mean, and obviously, don't talk about this if you don't want to. But have there been any sort of legal complications with WWE about names that you can and can't use? Or... No, no, not no. I mean, we've approached, especially anyone who's had a contract with, um, like a Legends contract. We've gone through, we went through WWE legal and got got okay to move forward with it. And you have to understand, a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we're not using their logos. We're not. No. You know, using any any WWE trademarks on any of our stuff, um, so we're not really running afoul of anything. All we're doing is we're basically telling the life story of these wrestlers, um, which they they have a right to tell their life story. You know, it's 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 you know we're not we're not infringing on any any trademarks or copyrights or anything. Like that. And and even if even if it anything becomes questionable. We're not doing anything bad. All we're doing is, you know, if anything, it, it probably helps because it draws more fans in to pro wrestling. Which, which brings me to it. So, I'll give, I'm going to give you a, a scoop here before I've even announced it yet. I, because uh, it made me think of it with talking about WWE and getting waivers. I have just signed on to write my first full-length book. Actually, um, instead of a comic, I'm going to be writing the full-length autobiography of the Bushwhackers. Oh, for, oh, for oh that's so cool. Okay. Yeah, and we just cleared that with WWE um, legal as well. And again, you know, their comment back was, "Go for it. Just don't use any WWE trademarks, and we're good." You know. So. What would what would trademarks include, though? Because I'm assuming you could use photographs, etc., if you, you ask permission. Well, if you ask permission, if we got releases, that's fine. Um, but again, photographs of their events that are owned by WWE, yeah, we couldn't really use those unless we got a release. You know, using their, you know their signage and things like that on the cover or anything that would infer that it's a, a WWE product, it would be a big no-no, you know. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of these guys have photos from, from, you know, other sports photographers that we can get releases on. You know, in, in, in the comics, it's art. It's not, we're not using photographs. I mean, it's all art, which is, it, it, honestly, it's a, it's a copyright that belongs to the artist. Mm. I've got to say as well, for those who haven't read um, any of your work yet and I, I urge everyone to um, like I, I didn't read many comics because I was so such a wrestling fan that I didn't really think about anything else ever so my exposure to comics was just the uh, wrestling releases at the time like the WCW one where Lex Luger pays off some hired goons to win a battle royal and stuff like that and there were the, uh, the Battlemania comics in 92 uh, with the National yeah. Investors and LOD and then a bit a little later on, there was, I don't know if you remember this, in the WWF magazines, there were the uh, Scoop Sullivan uh, monthly comic strips. He was like a kid. Yeah, he was like a mega Boom. Yeah, Boom has done a few recently, you know, through WWE, which have been nice. They did some on The Shield and stuff like that. Well, those got but, me back into comics, uh, especially uh, incorporating the the legends and everything as well. And I just, especially with um, what you do with uh, biographies, it has such a mass appeal because they are like bite sized You know, they are entertaining. They have great like illustrations and everything. And um, you know, the no, I don't mean to interrupt you, but ours are a little different than anything that's ever been done before, really comics because we're not taking you know a lot of the prior comics with wrestling you kind of mentioned it yourself they have a story about someone who's trying to pay somebody off to, to win a match i mean we're, ours we're not doing we're not doing that we're not making like up new stories with regards to the characters we're telling their lives i mean how they got involved in wrestling what they were like as a kid um we do hit highlights 
from their career. Uh, but that's the highlights that the wrestlers feel are the highlights. So you might see something different than what you might have anticipated seeing in a book because your highlight might not be the highlight that, say, Rocky Johnson thought was a highlight of his career. And we've tried to stay kayfabe on the matches. Um, I was a big fan of wrestling. So, and a big fan, as I mentioned before, of, of the magic of wrestling. My mom preserved that magic for me when I was a kid, and I don't want to take that magic away in what I write. So, you know, we try and, you know, stay kayfabe on the matches and, and tell it as it happened, you know, and not, not necessarily how they planned it to happen or anything like yeah. that. So, you know, we try and keep it as true to, true to wrestling as we can to give you the bonus of, the backstory of some of these men and, and these women, because their stories are amazing. I mean, I'll give one example. Um, <clears throat> Bruno San Martino, you know, I, I you know it's out there now a lot, but a lot of people don't realize that Bruno, when he grew up as a kid, he grew up in Italy during World War II, and uh, the Nazis had invaded his town, and he and his mother and his siblings were required to, or did, they weren't required, they just did it. They hid in the mountains because of Parado from the Nazis and uh, for several years. And he was almost killed by Nazis. People don't realize that. They actually, his camp was found and he and his mother and a lot of the other kids were lined up against the wall and they were about to be machine gunned down uh, when some of the men of the camp arrived and, and, and rescued them. And then he tried to get into the US because he was so malnourished from those years, those early years that he couldn't even get into the United States uh, because he couldn't pass the physical. And then several years later, here he is, the WWF, WWWF, world heavyweight champion and a world record holder in the bench press. I mean, what that guy overcame to to make it to the level that he actually made it to it, held that WWWF title for 11 years. And that was after he basically, you know, owned the country of Canada as their champion. He was <laughs> a hell of a champion in Canada before he... Before he made his big run with Vince. For me, those are the kind of stories that, although, you know, it it, it breaks kayfabe or whatever, those are like the stories that make the person. And those are the kind of stories that I love to hear. Like backstage politics or that kind of thing. Or, yeah, it just, it really doesn't interest me. And in, in some cases as well, you know, the real live personalities of some of the wrestlers, you know, oh, yeah. you, you just have to separate the, you know, and, and I know it's an easy thing to say, but like for me, sometimes you just have to separate the art from the artist and I can do it and Absolutely. it's fine, you know. Yeah, and it's become more difficult because of the Internet and it puts people's lives out there, stuff that we didn't have before. But some of these guys, particularly some of these um, old school guys, I mean, their lives were so amazing. I mean. Even more recent old school. I mean, one of the guys I forgot to mention that I'm going to be doing a series on or a book on is Billy Gunn. And I mean, how many? Did you know Billy Gunn was a, a champion rodeo rider before he became a wrestler? <laughs> yes, I did actually. Well, yeah, because when he was with the smoking guns, Vince would announce it every week on. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So, so there's, I mean, all these guys really need stories. Nikolai Volkov did. He wasn't from Russia, but he did really escape communism. He, can I, he, can I just say that with 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 Billy Gunn, like although Vince would say it every week on TV, and there were cowboys every week, it's like, do you believe it or not? But yeah. it's like, no, it is actually true. <laughs> and and Nikolai's story is just it's, it's um, something else. Like, yeah, Bobby Fulton. I know you haven't read Bobby's, but Bobby's a guy. Uh, he was one half of the Fantastics, um, who had a nice run in the NWA and a great run with the Sheepherders uh, when the Sheepherders came. Um, 
But he was a guy who was literally a fan like you or I, a young fan who loved wrestling. And he wanted to get involved, so he started showing up at the arenas or the outdoor arenas a lot, a lot, a lot of times. And he eventually got to where he could help set up the ring and everything. They kept him out. They didn't, they didn't smarten him up. You know, he thought everything was, was as legit as, as everybody else did back in the day. And uh, he just hanged, hanging out. And he asked guys, can you show me how to do some moves? They'd show him some moves. They still didn't smarten him up. And really cool story from her first, his first issue. He was about 17 years old. He showed up at, a, at an event in Ohio, an outdoor event. And one of the wrestlers didn't make it to the arena. So the, the promoter turns to him and says, uh, his name's Jimmy. That's his real name. He says, Jimmy, I need you to get in the ring tonight. And he did have boots. He had, he had you know, an outfit. He was he was ready to go. He just had never done it. And he says, I need you to get in the ring tonight. He says, but I'm only 17. He says, well, you're 18 tonight. Get in the <laughs> ring. You're so he, he suited up, put on his boots, put on his trunks, popped in the ring, and down came his, his first opponent, Evan. Well, they hadn't smartened up either of them. <laughs> and literally beat the hell out of each other for like 10 minutes and uh, bloodied each other up. And uh, then the promoter empty, emptied the locker room. Everybody broke him up. He said he made $5 that night and uh, had a bloodied nose, bloodied knuckles, everything beat up on him. But it was the greatest night of his life, you know. And eventually, you know, he got he did obviously get smartened up. And, and he had yeah, multi-time NWA United States Tag Team Champion, numerous belts and other promotions, had a hell of a career. But another really cool story about how just a regular fan, you know, he didn't have any family in the business. He he didn't escape from any, you know, countries. He didn't do any of these crazy things other than love wrestling, you know, and he ended up becoming a pro wrestler and having a hell of a career, too. Was hearing these stories when chatting with the wrestlers that you've been working with, like stories that you didn't expect to hear, because wrestlers are just great storytellers when talking about their careers, and they've got so many stories, you know, um, you know, decades worth of stories, wild, you know, stories. A lot of them probably illegal. You know, <laughs> like, um, was that sort of the? Uh, what spurred you on to uh, make the comic book encyclopedia of professional wrestling, which is all true stories? It's all true stories. And it's really a conglomeration of a lot of the stories that um, that I've done so far uh, with the guys we've been mentioning. But we do, I have to be honest, we do, not, not to you know, bust anybody's bubbles, we have tried to keep it PG. So a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those really bad, like triple X stories and such, uh, I've heard them, but... Uh, <laughs> You have to probably pick up the Bushwhacker book to get some of those. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. I'm we, sure. we do have a younger audience in a lot of cases with the uh, with the comics, so you know we tried to keep those a, a little cleaner than uh, than I will have to do. <laughs> what, so two questions: Were, were you? Um, surprised at the uh the success of the comics that you had released so far and did you hear feedback from people who had never really heard of Nikolai Volkov like younger uh kids or whatever were they getting in touch and uh you know telling you how much they love them I mean I don't want to necessarily say I was surprised because you know I, I I wanted to do it because I thought there was a I thought there was a room for it I thought there was a place for it for wrestling and comics. I honestly did. I mean, I would go to these conventions, these comic book conventions, 
And here I was, a guy in my early 40s at the time. Now I'm pushing my late 40s, but in my early 40s at the time, and I'm sitting at a table and I'm selling comics. And generally, people that are coming up to me and picking up these comics are kids. I mean, they're, you know, they're people, they're kids that are like, you know, between the ages of like eight and, you know, teens and such. But I was looking at who was bringing them to my table, who was actually pulling the wallet out of their back pocket and paying for these things. And it was guys and gals that were in their 40s, people that grew up on wrestling, you know. And a lot of them would be wearing wrestling t-shirts or NWO or WWE t-shirts. And I was thinking, there's a market. I mean, these are people that, you know, the people that are actually spending the money are the people that I should be marketing to as well. And uh, I saw a spot for it. So that's why I got into it, too. Because, one, I loved wrestling. And, two, I thought that a lot of other people did. And I thought they'd jump on the opportunity to have something that, to me, is a little bit more special than just getting a signed 8x10 or a trading card. You can get a signed their life story. I mean, it's something really unique uh, that you can have. So I thought, I'm not totally surprised about the success. Um, I kind of thought it would be there. Have heard some great stories from younger fans too, because I have, you know, that's one of the neat things about it is, is because I do have a younger crowd that did arrive at my table at a lot of these conventions and does buy comics. You know, they're interested and they see a name like Nikolai and they see the flashy covers and they see these big, big muscular people lumping off top ropes and it does catch their eye. And, and I do think, and we have seen that um, we picked up some new fans, you know, I mean, one that, that did really well, you know, sadly he passed away right after we released it, was Rocky Johnson's. And, and, yeah. and part of it is because his son, um, Levain, has such a massive following and in a much, um, in a lot of cases, younger following than his dad did. Um, now, people see The Rock, but they don't realize that there was a mountain before there was ever a rock. And, <laughs> yeah. and they were learning that and they would come out and they'd see us and, and you know, just to see, honestly, it was it was a, a thrill to me to see the joy on on Rocky's face, um, to see not just the older fans that, that appreciated and remembered him back from, you know, in his career when it was at its, its peak and its pinnacle, but to see the younger kids come in and go, you're the Rock's dad, you know, and they really want to talk to him, they want to learn about it, and they want to read this comic and, and see the things that he did, I mean, Here's a guy, you know, just, you know, talking about another guy who had an amazing life. He was um, the Rock, too, but the Rocky, more directly, was descended from um, slaves that escaped the United States through the Underground Railroad into Canada. And, uh, you know, he grew up in Canada, not as a professional wrestler, not as a wrestler at all, actually, but as a boxer. He was an A. Trained at the same gym he did in Canada, and uh, he just thought that you know he, he might have a chance at it, so he, he started picking up wrestling too. In fact, he used to how he got such high drop kicks. I remember him telling me it was because he used to in the gym he would drop kick the, uh, the punching bag, <laughs> and that's a hell of a height, you know, if you've ever seen a punching bag, it's pretty high up there. Um, but here's the guy, and they, and they used it in his career. I mean, they Jerry Lawler would bring him in. That was a nice thing about territories again, without having the, the internet, is you could you could bill a guy as certain things and take him around the country and people didn't know anything about it. But, you know, when, when Muhammad Ali was was fighting, uh, you know, Anoki in Japan, at the same time, they were promoting Rocky Johnson versus Jerry Lawler, boxer versus wrestler in Memphis. <laughs> you know, so he had a hell of a career. I mean, they had the pictures of him. He was a sparring partner for uh, 
for Joe Frazier, for Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. You know, and they had those old pictures of him boxing those guys. And uh, really cool stuff. I mean, he had a hell of a life, you know, before he even stepped in the third circle. Well, one wonderful thing about your work as well is that it highlights not just their life before wrestling, but also what a lot of these wrestlers did in other territories outside of WWE, because WWE obviously can have a, they can put a spin on things, not necessarily in a bad way, but like they have a lot of footage of whichever wrestler in that company and they can sort of show and highlight that Rocky Johnson was WWF tag team champion, which obviously history making, but people may not know that he wrestled, you know, in Memphis and uh, in Florida and places like that. And just Rocky Johnson, Rocky Johnson, I think what, what he was pushed a lot with WWE, and it was a hell of an accomplishment, is because being the first, part of the first African-American, or, or black, I shouldn't really say African-American because he was Canadian, but the first black world, WWE or WWF world tag team champion. He was. But yeah. before he ever did that accomplishment, and I remember he would push this to me and say, John, you don't understand. I was the first black champion in basically every tour territory in the United States and Canada before I ever went to the WWE. He was the he was the Florida champion. He was the Florida Bare Knuckles champion. He was the he was the champion out in San Francisco. It was the first championship he ever won. Uh, the Hollywood territory out in NWA Hollywood. He had titles all over this country, Texas, Missouri, uh, everywhere you can think of um, before he ever joined the WWE. He's I want to say Rocky Johnson probably held in excess of 40, maybe 50 titles before he ever entered the WWE. You know, and, and that, can, that, that can be said about pretty much every wrestler that I write for. Um, another prime example of guys that, you know, they got a nice run, um, but they never held a title in WWE was the Killer Bees. Yeah. Uh, so while they did have a great run, they had some great matches with the Hart Foundation, uh, Demolition, uh, you know, the Islanders. They had some really, uh, Volkoff and the Sheik. I mean, they had some really nice runs there, but they never held the belts. Um, so the pinnacle of their career probably wasn't the WWF. Um, they were the first tag team champions of the UWF. I don't know if you remember much about the UWF. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. And, but they held that world title there. You know, and that's really the apex of their career. They were world champions, but they weren't world champions in the WWF. Do, do you think it's a misunderstanding, though, sometimes um, that people think that WWF is the pinnacle of their career but when you hear a lot of the older wrestlers talk they, they value their time in japan more or in their in their you know home territory and stuff like that because they were the biggest star there and pro, i mean you know they may not have had the action figure in the ice cream bar but like there is more wrestling than that sometimes you know <laughs> and prime examples of that are vader and stan hansen yeah i mean those guys were massive in japan you know massive in general massive in japan um, a lot of the guys that eventually did come into the WWF when it was consolidating everyone, I mean, they, the apex of their career may have even happened before they, before Vince even signed them. I mean, a lot of these guys had been wrestling for years and doing a lot of great things before they ever. It's not like they were signing a guy who was 20 years old like they do nowadays. You see a new guy calling up 20, 20 years old, 22 years old, 23 years old. A lot of these guys were older guys when they came over. Tony Gurria is another prime example. He and, he and uh, Rick Martell. Uh, came over to the WWE. Those guys, Rick Martel was the AWA champion. Yeah. You know, 
Um, Ricky Morton, I know he, he had a small run of the WWF, but he, he wrestled Bockwinkle for the AWA World, World Heavyweight title. Um, you know, some of these guys had some really, really great runs. Uh, Jim Brunzel, he was a, uh, an ongoing contender for the, for the AWA World Heavyweight title and a multi-time AWA uh, tag team champion with, with uh, Greg Gagne as the High Flyers. You know, so a lot of these guys had some pretty massive runs before before they ever even signed a contract with the WWE. Well, it's um, yeah, we could talk forever because I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. But like with your work, the fact that you cover entire careers and do it so well and artistically brilliantly and you know everything else I'm, I'm, i'll stop sucking up to you now but um you know um you know your work is it is incredible everyone does need to uh check it out and uh the comic book encyclopedia of pro wrestling there are still 10 days left there are still all kinds of perks available um there's autograph stuff there are pdfs yeah, I'll do a quick plug on Go yeah ahead. if anybody wants to check it out yeah we're on kickstarter for 10 more days um the book is really reasonably priced at $24.99 for a print copy. Right now, it's it, we say 280-plus pages because we've already passed our first stretch goal, and we're, I think, at least halfway to our second stretch goal, which every time we pass another $1,000, we add another encyclopedia entry into it. So we're over 280 pages already. Um, you can get PDF copies for less. If you're a big fan of some of the uh, prior stuff we did, We've got, you can get bundles that'll get you copies that are autographed by Nikolai Volkov. Um, some of his that, distinct That issues. is cool. Yeah. yeah, you can get those. You can get uh, one signed by Jake Hager, Lanny Poffo, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, the Killer Bees. I mean, there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, every single day, anybody who is a current backer, whether it be backer number one all the way up to backer number one, 100, and any future backers, every day, one lucky back backer is chosen to receive a free autographed something. So we've already given out autographs uh, by the Killer Bees, an original promo from Titan Sports when they were with the WWF. We've given out uh, an autographed flag from Jake Hager. We've given out an autographed card from Ricky Morton. Today we've got an uh, autographed, one of those iconic uh, red bow ties that uh, the Fantastics used to wear in the ring. <laughs> We've got one autographed by Bobby Fulton that one lucky fan will get selected and it'll go out with their whatever they whatever they pledged for. So there's some really cool uh, free incentives that are out there and it's it's a great thing. And um, it's a book that once you get it, you know, you go to some of these events, the wrestlers are there, you can add those autographs to it and make it an even more memorable uh, piece of memorabilia that you can have. Absolutely. And, you know, and I'm bad as well. There's 10 days left. That is enough time for me to get involved because I need to get involved because um, I, I love the Killer Bees and I love Nikolai Volkov and a lot of the names that you work with, Lanny Poffo, you know, um, some of them have been guests on the show and have been just the like just nicest people to talk to in the world. Um, but yes, uh, the comic book encyclopedia of pro wrestling, as well as your other work, um, is what is your uh, main website for uh all of your work and uh it'll be posted below the show as well okay well you can find me on uh on facebook i'm under my real name uh john crowther i also got a writer's page which if we as we fill up those friendships you, know, you can go over to the writer's page and find me as johnny crowther comic book writer um you can also find squared circle comics on, on facebook you can also just type in squared circle comics on in, in a regular google search and you'll find our our regular web page where you can actually order 
single issues and things like that. Um, I also do work, as we mentioned, for Antarctic Press. You can find my Rochelle series, uh, exciting comic series, horror comic series. All of those are on the Antarctic Press site. Or you can reach out to me individually if you like signed copies. I've done some work for Heavy Metal Magazine. Um, you can obviously find my books on Heavy Metal site. And uh, and you can get anything from me personally as well. You know, just reach out. I'm, I'm pretty open to talking to people. You find me on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. Just about every social media site you can you can locate, you'll find me. <laughs> this is great. And uh, just before we go, what's your favorite match of all time? Favorite match? It would have to be uh, Ricky Steamboat versus Macho Man Randy Savage, WrestleMania 3. Hell of a match. Hard to argue with that. Hard to argue with that. Did you ever see – you must have saw that other matches at, like, Boston Garden and um, all of those other house show matches. Like, every every one of them that were on TV were great, but that WrestleMania 3 match is just – Oh God! They just went over the top, and I had I had the privilege. Um, Ricky Steamboat is pretty active on the uh, on the convention scene, actually. And uh, over the past year, before we all had this COVID nineteen lockdown, I was able to do a like, I think two three shows with him. Actually, did three shows with him and had some really nice talks with him about those matches. And uh, if you, you if you can get him on your show, I could talk. I could tell you what he said, but it, it, it took him about an hour to go through. How he, how man Randy Savage was about setting up a match. It's, oh, I've heard, I've heard stories, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how Steamboat was. I mean, they had they kind of came from two different uh, two different schools in that. Even though both of them, two of the best people ever in the business, but they kind of had a different approach of how they how they went into a match and prepared for a match. Really, an interesting story. And uh, you might even be able to find it by googling a, a Ricky Steamboat shoot interview or something like that. But it was. Uh, great story and, and really solidified my belief that that's in my opinion you know i can't say it's the best match of all time because i haven't seen them all but it's got to be up at the top oh it's really hard to argue with it it's it's amazing and yeah you make a good point during lockdown and everything everyone you're all in need of entertainment you need comics to read so uh, pledge towards uh, the comic book encyclopedia of pro wrestling and uh also you know it's we, we all, you know, need to make a living, basically. So, you know, support pro wrestlers, uh, buy their merch as well. And, um, you know, they all have merch out there on, like, pro wrestling tees or with these comic books. And, uh, you know, if they've given you any entertainment over the years, you know, no one owes anything anything. But I think as a thank you and to, su- to show fan your fan support and everything, it mean, you know, from speaking to a lot of the older wrestlers as well, it, it really means a lot that they're still remembered and still celebrated in you know 2020 absolutely one thing i do want to plug in there too it made me think of it when you said that um we just did a couple of weeks ago um in conjunction with kenny casanova i don't know if you know kenny and so I've, I've interviewed kenny i'm a huge fan of his work as well yeah okay well that's actually who's he's actually going to be publishing my bushwhackers book too but we just did a um something called uh, wrestling uh, bookmarks COVID con i don't know if you saw that um, yes yeah, it was a two-day show. A um, whole bunch of pro wrestlers and, and wrestling writers uh, got online, and we, were, we ran Facebook Live, and it was also aired on Fight TV. Did really well. Well, they're doing it again. So June 14th, um, we will be. It's a one-day event. A bunch of us will be back on again, uh, Facebook Live and Fight TV. Check it out. You can find them on the um, uh, again Facebook. If you're on Facebook, and if you go to uh, Wrestling Bookmarks COVID Con. You'll find all the information about it and links to it. Really cool event. 
You can actually interact live online with these wrestlers and writers, ask them questions. They're running deals on merch. It's a really cool, really cool event. Uh, I, I highly recommend people check that out. Usually, probably going to run all day long. So no matter what you know, what side of the planet you're on, you should be able to tune in and catch a little, at least a little bit. Of it. Absolutely. And if um, if Kenny's involved in this again, just to hear his impressions is uh, worth it enough because uh, <laughs> it was exactly. the most convincing Jim Cornette impression I've ever heard as well. Um, I want to get him to do some voiceover stuff so I can use them as like. Oh yeah, he did, he did a great Brian <laughs> Nobbs. He did a great Brian Nobbs the other day. He actually had me fooled because he he stood off camera and did it. And I was like, holy shit, is that really Nobbs? I had just been on the phone with Nobbs, and uh, and all of a sudden he's talking. I'm like, wait a second, is that Nobbs? <laughs> Speaking of knobs, and I know we could go on forever, and I won't like you know stretches out for, uh, too much. But um, I just bought a can of the uh, Nasty Boys Pale Ale. Uh, that oh, was uh, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's, re- it's really nice design as well. <laughs> One day I will get knobs and sags to sign it because there was a big wrestling oh. convention supposed to happen in the UK. Uh, just recently but we are also the official podcast for for the love of wrestling which is now being oh, moved oh, to october no. um so that's how we were able okay. to interview lanny poffo and uh hopefully some other names coming up as well and um you know can't wait to meet guys like the nasty boys and um hear some of their stories oh, yeah, yeah they're a great guy and, and if any of you all are, are still locking down and wearing those little masks knobs uh, are selling some really cool i've seen uh, those yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say what you will about wrestlers. They are very, they have initiative to make much of themselves and uh, get out of them. So, yes. Right. Well, John, thank you very much. Again, one more time, comic book encyclopedia of pro wrestling. Find it on Kickstarter. There will be a link below the show along with uh, websites and, uh, you know, your your personal phone number, your waist measurement, all that kind of thing. Um, all your personal details, bank card number, etc., will be below the show. Um, I can see the look of worry on your face. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, uh, links, to, links to find you, etc. will be below the show. And uh, I want to thank you again. And hopefully we can do part two because I want to talk bushwhackers. Um, that that will be so much fun. Oh. Right, okay, well, thank, thank you very much. And also thank you for allowing me to call you at not a ridiculous time, uh, considering the time difference. Because I'm used to doing these at like 3 a.m. and stuff like that. Just to... Oh. <laughs> this has um, been great I, well, I really appreciate you having me on it's been a pleasure